All right. Hey, I just want to say a big hello to everybody here at New Life today. I want to say a big shout out to everybody worshiping at one of our campuses. So at all of our campuses, everybody that's online, look, if you love Jesus and you're excited to be at New Life Church today, can I just hear from you on three? Ready? One, two, three. Come on. Yeah. Woo, man, I'll tell you what, sometimes we just need that. Like, we just need to remind ourselves that we're excited about Jesus, okay? If you're a guest here with us, man, I'm glad you came. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And today we're kicking off a brand new teaching series. I mean, how many of you guys just love to know that you jumped into the middle of something, right? Like, these people that got this big relationship and then you're there and you just got to jump into the middle of it. Most people hate that moment, right? So if you're a guest with us, or you're new in some capacity, you feel new, right, or you're back with us live in person, you're here at the beginning of something, the beginning of a brand new teaching series. We, we've entitled it Rock Bottom. Come on, somebody say Rock Bottom. Rock Bottom, rock bottom man. Now that, that name in and of itself doesn't connotate like things that are very positive, does it? Like you don't think about a rock bottom moment in your life and just like get a big smile on your face and go, man, that was a lot of fun. Wow, that was a lot of fun. But this series I think is going to be highly encouraging for you. Because what I want to do throughout the entire series is I want to help you understand how God loves to meet you at your worst. A lot of people think that God doesn't meet us at our worst. A lot lot of people think that, you know, when I get my life better, God meets me. But I want you to know today that God meets you at your worst. The problem is with this whole rock bottom idea is that we don't like to admit that we've ever hit rock bottom. We don't want people to know that we've hit rock bottom. We try to disguise rock bottom in our lives. It's not very glamorous. You know, it's kind of the stuff that in your life you try to forget sometimes. Or, you know, this is, the, this is a really bad situation when people don't recognize they're at rock bottom. Have you ever had a friend that you knew They've got to be at rock bottom, right? I mean, just you're looking at their life. You're looking at what's going on. You've got compassion for them, right? But you're just like, man, when are they going to recognize they're at rock bottom? And because we don't like to admit it and because we're not really good at recognizing it, then we don't respond appropriately with the urgency needed to get ourselves out of the situation. We think that rock bottom is many times for other people. Like rock bottom is for people that are strung out on drugs, like I, I like I could get that. Like that's gonna be rock bottom. Rock bottom is like a person who's you know on the verge of saying like, man, I'm, I'm getting ready to take my life. That's rock bottom, right? Or a person that's lost it all. And you you sit here and you're like, well, you know, I've never been in any one of those situations, so I've never really been maybe at a rock bottom moment. But I want you to know today as we're getting into this series, we have to define really what rock bottom is. And you could be rock bottom in your marriage. You could be rock bottom emotionally. You could be, you know, rock bottom spiritually. You can even be rock bottom in your passion. That rock bottom isn't, right, this moment where, you know, this person's strung out on drugs, you know, wasting their life away. That is a form of rock bottom, but oftentimes many of us are hitting a different type of rock bottom. And we don't admit it. We don't know where we're at. Therefore, we're not meeting with God. In these, in these worst moments of our life, we're not inviting God into the center of it. So therefore, how, how are we ever going to rebound from that? And so that's, that's a difficult thing. So most of us have hit rock bottom in some capacity in one area or another. 
<clears throat> some of us are even at rock bottom right now, and if, we, if you're not, um, praise God for that. Uh, but you might have a friend that is. But here's the good news. The good news is this. When you acknowledge that you're at a rock bottom moment, the blessing is you finally know which way up is. I mean, think about it with me. Right? I, I, I think of it this way often. <clears throat> if I could take you out onto the ocean in our little yellow submarine, and for some of you that made sense, and for others of you, it makes no sense at all. All right, we're in our little yellow submarine, and I could take you down in the ocean, down, all the way down to what's called the midnight zone. The midnight zone hits at about 3,280 feet deep, okay? If we could go down there, we get to the midnight zone, sunlight doesn't penetrate beyond 3,280 feet. So beyond that, I could take you down into the midnight zone in a little yellow submarine, right? And I could give you an assignment, I could say to you, look, we're going to open up the door, and you're going to get out, right? And let's just throw off all common sense. You have enough breath to get to the top, right? The pressure down there is not going to kill you. Let's just say, let's just say that's the truth. And I let you out, right? And I say to you, make your way to the top. Are you even going to know which way up is? You can't see your hand in front of your face. You don't see the sunlight. You could easily be swimming the wrong direction, this is what a lot of people do in their lives, trying to fix their life, right, without Christ. It's like, it's like we're getting out in the middle of the midnight zone, and we're trying to swim our way. We're trying to force something to happen, and all we do many times is make our life worse. So what if I could take you all the way to the bottom, though? All the way to the bottom of the ocean, and the little submarine, it settles. you got to have good sound effects, by the way. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And I let you out. Now, what are your feet standing on? The bottom. Now do you know which way up is? Of course you do. See, that's rock bottom. When you hit rock bottom, you at least know which way up is. And so I would say to you today this. I want to redefine a rock bottom moment. I want to redefine rock bottom as God's grace. It is God's grace that when you wake up, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm standing on the bottom. I'm at rock bottom. It's by God's grace now that you can start making your way to the surface. That you can start seeing life change. You can start seeing this redemptive work of Christ happening in your life. That's why I say to you today, rock bottom moments, yes, we don't want to be there. God doesn't want you to be there. But when you are there, God will meet you at your worst. Why? Because he doesn't want to leave you there. And if you have ever experienced a rock bottom moment with Christ, then you would have an incredible value and appreciation of worship for him because of his rescuing you from the bottom. In my life over 30 years ago, just to help you understand, over 30 years ago, I remember standing in a parking lot in Bellevue, Nebraska, pointing my finger up to heaven. Literally, I just did this, like point my finger up to heaven. I said, you don't exist. I'm going to go live my life the way I want to. I had grown up in church, and I just felt this complete distance from him, right? I felt this, like, like there's no power or authority of God at work, so I'm going to just, like, drop the fallacy and go live the way I want to. And that one great decision in my life <laughs> led to me telling my, my wife, Kim, right, and a couple of my kids, I don't even want to be with you. And so... Yeah, that's, that's how brutal it got, right? And I just kicked them out. 
They moved to St. Louis, and I stayed in Bellevue. And I eventually had no place to live, but I had a couch, so I gave some buddies the couch, and I slept on the couch so I could have a place to live. And I wasted all my money on alcohol, drugs, entertainment, anything I could get my hands on. Trying to fill this void. When I said he doesn't exist now, I got to fill it. Well, the whole time, I'm just dropping like a rock in the ocean. Just, just like, just keep dropping, right? Everything in life falls apart. All of my relationships diminish. They fall apart. Until one day at 3 o'clock in the morning, in a, an apartment in Bellevue, that I knelt down next to my little bed, and I said, God, I evaluated my life. Look what I've done. Look at how, how well I have managed my life. I have nothing Everything around me is decaying and falling apart, and every good thing has been taken from me. God, I surrender my life. If you are, if you're real, I surrender my life to you, and I want to follow you. And guys, I'm telling you what, God met me in that apartment. He showed up in a powerful way, and he spoke to me. He goes, welcome home, son. And then he reminded me of something from 15 years, when I was 15 years old. And don't forget the call that I have on your life. And man, I woke up that next morning, I couldn't hardly, like, wait to wake up to make a phone call, you know, to a, a local pastor that I'd had a relationship with, you know, before then. And it started watching my life get put back together. God met me at my worst, church, right? He met me at my worst, and that's what God wants to do. But then he's looking for that repentive heart so that he can kind of start creating the buoyancy that pulls you to the surface. And if you've got a rock-bottom story, this, what I want you to do during this series is in your life groups, I want you to share your rock-bottom story. Not to glorify the past, but to highlight how God meets us at our, at our worst and how he redeems us. Because somebody, somebody needs to hear your rock-bottom story. And if you, can't, if you can't share it in a life group, then meet a friend over coffee. Share your rock-bottom story with someone during the series. If you haven't experienced a rock-bottom moment, then look, I got great news for you. One might just be around the corner. It might, one might be around the corner, but I want us to look at today in week one, how, how do rock bottom moments really start? In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said these words, he goes, look, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's the good news, that he's overcome the world. Okay? The challenging news is that he says this, you're going to face trials and sorrows. You're going to have moments of pressure. Moments of pressure in your life. You're going to have moments of oppression in your life. You're going to have moments of affliction in your life. Right? You're going to have these moments where there's great distress in your life. And Jesus made this promise and he said, look, you will face these things. It's not a if or a, or a might. It's you will face these things. And he was he was speaking to people that were followers of his. And he was trying to like get them teed up, help them understand, look, life's not gonna just be a bed of roses all the time. So if you feel like you're constantly walking through trials today, I just want you to know you're not alone, right? And by declaring your faith in Jesus Christ doesn't get you a free pass from trials, troubles, and tribulations. Christianity was never a free pass out of those things. Jesus spoke even more about this one day when he was talking about possessions and money. With some, with some friends and some people that were following him. And he was helping to instruct them not to be worried about what tomorrow will hold. But he tells them basically to live right before God and God will take care of all your needs. 
And so he said these words in Matthew 6, 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. Watch this, though. Would you read the rest of this verse with me? For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's, right, is enough for? Today's trouble is enough for today. Like, you're worried about tomorrow, what tomorrow will hold, and Jesus is going, look, don't add on to the trouble that you're already facing today. Don't add on to the difficult moments. Don't add on to the distressing moments. God's going to take care of you. You're going to face trouble today. You're going to face difficult moments. This is how rock-bottom moments start. They start with these troubles, these trials, these distressing moments, and then we don't handle them correctly, and they keep dissolving right into this like rock-bottom moment. If being a Christian, by the way, meant that you would never, ever have to face trials and tribulations, sorrow and pain, right, then I guarantee you the entire world would have surrendered. <coughs> Excuse me, my allergies bother me. They would have surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's what would have happened. But it's clear that Christianity isn't a vaccine protecting you from some trials or distress. There's no vaccine for the brutality that life can bring with its rejection, its betrayal, its loss, its abandonment, its death, its loneliness, its injustice. It's loss of income. Christianity is no vaccine, and it's not going to protect you from those things. And what the unfortunate thing is is that we tend to respond to these difficult moments in one of three unhealthy ways. First, maybe we try to detach from it. Detach, right? What can we do to just get away from it? As if it doesn't exist. So we kind of stiff arm it. We, we get away it might be that we, we detach from a person. Maybe we change jobs, right? But we do whatever we can to detach. We start detaching. If it's in our marriage, we start detaching from our spouse. You see what I'm saying? We start detaching from the very things that we need. That's what I've watched happen in my life when I pointed my finger to heaven. I said, God, you don't exist. Then what began to happen was I began to detach from every healthy and good thing. You know the person I'd never wanted to talk to during that entire you know, season of my life? I never wanted to talk to my grandmother. Why? Because I knew she was praying for me. You don't want to talk to grandma in those moments. <laughs> you might talk to your dad, right, and just get angry and hang up the phone, but you don't talk to grandma because you don't do that to her. And so you detach from, you push yourself away from the very things that you need. Here's another unhealthy way that we deal with our struggles and trials is that we try to fake it. Just fake it. Like, ah, it's not bothering me. But when the darkness of night comes and your head's laying on the pillow, what's the thing you can't get your mind off of? Right? So you can fake it in public, but you can't fake it forever because it's living inside of you. And like a volcano, there's the seismic activity that keeps going off inside of you. And people, friends, they start to see, you know, that something's affecting you, but they don't know what it is until all of a sudden one day you just blow your top like a volcano. Right? And you just, you just blow up on somebody. You, you blow up in some unhealthy way. You blow up on some kind of a binge that you go off on or whatever it is, but you try to fake it. That's not a healthy way to handle it. We try to distract ourselves. Distract ourselves with maybe other hobbies. We try to, instead of dealing with the trial and the sorrow and the pain and the trouble that we're going through, 
you know, we distract ourselves by just maybe jumping into video games. Man, we're just playing video games all night long. Or, or we try to distract ourselves by, you know, getting some different friends that aren't healthy and they keep taking us down a bad path. We, we try to distract ourselves in all kinds of ways and try to get away from the truth. And all of these decisions are leading you to this rock bottom moment. And in the midst of that, God invites you and me to cast our cares and our worries upon him. First Peter 5. That's what he says to do. Right? He's like, look, don't detach. Don't fake it. Don't try to distract yourself. I want you to cast your worries and your cares upon me. First Peter 5. Give all your worries and your cares to God for what? He cares for you. He cares about you. Like we're supposed to bring these things to God. We're, we, we are not commanded by God to push down our worries and to push down our pain. That's not what God asks us to do. God never asked you to deny that you're going through trials and you're going through difficult moments and that your emotions are bent on the negative. And some Christians think that it's like a lack of faith for another Christian to say that, look, I'm dealing with something that's too much for me to handle. And unfortunately, the church, instead of being a healthy place, has become the judgmental place. Like, you should just get your life put together. Like, you should just trust Jesus more. Like, you should just do this. You should just do that. We got the quick Christianese answers instead of getting down in the rock bottom, getting down into the trial with somebody, and just experiencing their pain that they're going through so that we might be a person that can speak hope. Like, that's what God's called the church to be, guys. Right? And so it's not a lack of faith to say that you're in something over your head and it feels like it's too much and it feels like you got a weight tied on you that's just pulling you to the bottom. It's okay. Because God says in his word, give God your worries and your concerns. Bring those things to God. Here's another perspective on it. In Psalm 62, verse 8, it says, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. What does it say next? Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. This is what God wants us to do. God, God goes, look, I want to be your refuge, but I can't be your refuge unless you truly pour out your heart to me. I'm just going to tell you today, the healthy way to walk through pain and trials is this to be brutally honest with your emotions before God. Think of it, think of it this way. Some of you guys know some stuff about the Bible, okay? And others of you don't, and that's okay. But in the Old Testament, there is this guy named David who ends up becoming the greatest king that the nation of Israel has ever experienced, right? But when David is just a young man, there is a different king of the nation. His name is Saul, all right? And uh, David is like anointed to be the future king. Saul, Saul hates that. Because David's getting all this success. David is killing the giants. David is winning at battles. People are singing songs about David in the streets, and they're not singing it about the king. And so the king, Saul, he gets really jealous towards David, and he tries to kill him, right? I mean, he just tries to take his life multiple times. And David's trying to be like a man under authority, and he's trying to honor him. But it gets to a certain point where David's like, look, if I don't run now, I'm going to lose my entire life. And so he runs. And guess what happens? Saul can't handle the fact that David's still alive because he knows one day David's going to take his spot. 
And he gets jealous and he gets his army. He gets all the resources that a king could have. All the money, all the army, all the weaponry, right? All the experts. And he goes, let's go hunt this one man down. He takes a country's entire army to go and hunt down one man. And when we find him, let's kill him. And he does this for years, by the way. David's hiding in caves and he's just trying to get by and he's trying to just preserve his life. Can you imagine the, the, the stress that would be caused from moments like that? Well, David gives us a snapshot into it a little bit. And he shows us as he becomes brutally honest with God in Psalms 13, verses 1 through 3. Take a look at what David says. He says, oh Lord, how long will you forget me? You ever been to the point where you feel like God has forgotten you? David has. Is it going to be forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Has anybody felt like that? How long will the enemy have the upper hand, God? He's, sp he's speaking to God here. Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle in my eye or I will surely die. Now when you hear this language in God's word, like, what, what's one of the first words that comes to your mind? What's one of your first thoughts when you hear this? Is it like, well, man, he's just complaining. He shouldn't be complaining to God like that. He should just, you know, he doesn't have trust. What's the first word that comes to your mind? Because I want to insert a different word. I want to insert the word worship. David is worshiping God right here, right now. It doesn't sound like worship. And just think if that's the song we sung this morning. How long will you forget me, God? Is it forever? How long will you let your enemies triumph over me? It's not a worship song. But it is definitely David lamenting before the Lord. It is him worshiping him. He's not venting on God, by the way. He, he's come to God open and honest. He's talking to God as if God is a friend who cares. And you know what David's doing? Something I've told you before, he's wrestling with God. Instead of rejecting God, he's wrestling with him right here. What does that mean? That means he's wrapping his arms around him. He's going, hey, when, how long are you going to forget me out here? But I'm not going to let go of you. How long are you going to let the enemies, like, you know, kind of conquer me? But I'm not going to let go of you. I'm wrestling with you until I figure out what's going on. I'm not going to reject you. I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to get a bear lock on God in the midst of my struggles and trials. I'm going to get a bear lock on him, and I'm going to hang on to him even if I can't figure it all out. I'm going to go through these difficult seasons wrestling with God until he brings the solution because I know, I know that he's good. And you know what I find really interesting about Scripture like this? I mean, God took David's brutally honest words Words full of doubt, words full of anxiety and depression, words even filled with like, God, I don't even know if I can trust you. And God said, you know what I want? I want those words to be in my inspired scripture. Like if I was writing a book, I don't know if I'd include those words. I'm writing a book about me and how I am faithful to you. I'm probably going to like edit that part out if it's just me. So God is obviously leaving this in for a reason. And guys, there are many, many scriptures like this 
that have been left in. Why? So that God can say to us, look, you can, I want you to be brutally honest with me. I want you to bring your heart to me. Why? Because when you come to me, then you encounter my presence. And my presence is the only solution to your trials. And then God goes, look, if you can be raw with me, if you can share your true emotions with me, then here's what I can do. I can renew trust and hope where there was none. And that's exactly what you see happening with David. Look, you go one verse down in verse 5 of what we were just reading, and then David all of a sudden changes his tone. And he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. What? Like he's probably in a cave, wondering if he's going to die. Those first words were definitely his real emotions. But then he ends it by saying, but I know that you will rescue me, and I know that you are faithful. Like, guys, that's the beauty of when you come to the Lord with your true feelings and your true emotions, God has a way of taking what you see with your own eyes and what you feel with your own human emotions and converting them into seeing it the way he sees it. Changing your heart from hopelessness to hope. Changing your tune to a tune of trust. So the next time you find yourself at a rock bottom moment, just walk these simple three principles we just saw here. What were they? First, turn to God. Like if you're not turning to God when you're going through trials and struggles and difficulties, you're not turning to the right source. And if you're not turning to the right source, then how are you ever going to encounter the power of God that's going to resonate in your heart in such a way that's going to liberate you and change the way you think, change the way you see things? So our first move when we are in a place we don't want to be is to turn to God. Or otherwise, the submarine keeps sinking down to the rock bottom. Secondly, though, share your raw emotions with God. Some of you are hearing this today for the very first time. And you're going, I didn't know, like, that doesn't sound healthy if I were to share my raw emotions. Well, there's a difference between getting angry and venting at God and walking away from him and sharing your raw emotions with him. This is not one of those get angry at God, drop the mic moments and walk off. You do that, the submarine keeps heading down and you keep heading to the rock bottom moment, maybe one of the worst rock bottom moments of your life. This is not a venting, get angry at God, walk away moment. This is a come to God, share with him like you would share with a friend who cares. Because he does care about you. He cares for you. That's what the scripture told us. Why do we cast our worries on him? Because he cares for us. So don't vent, but bring these emotions, bring this raw, brutally honest feelings to God. Cast them upon him. Tell him about it like he's a friend who cares. And then lastly, lastly, make sure that you speak the truth about God, though. This is what you find David doing, right? He ended by reminding himself about the faithfulness of God, even though he was in a horrific moment. And church, that's what we miss all the time. We live through these trials, struggles, and difficult moments and we might even cast these towards the Lord. But then we cease to remind ourselves about the faithfulness of God. That there isn't anything bigger than, you know, than God. 
that what I'm going through is minuscule compared to the authority of Christ. That what I'm walking through in this life is just that. It's a few short years on this earth compared to eternity with God. Like we gotta come back and remind ourselves. You gotta go, that's why it's so important to be, to be you know, remembering of God's faithfulness in your past so that you can remind yourself when you're in the heat of the moment that if God was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. That's important. And that's why we need to be in community with each other, where we're sharing life with each other because you might be on the mountaintop moment right now with God. Someone else might be in the valley. And that person in the valley needs to hear the mountaintop moment person saying, look, I know, I know it's hellish right now. I, I know it's difficult right now. I, I know that I can't fix it. But I'm just gonna encourage you, turn to God. Share those emotions, those things you just shared in this life group, share those with God, one-on-one with God. But before you walk away from that prayer moment, I need you to remind yourself of what you do know that's being clouded by all the circumstances that God is faithful. Church, we gotta remind ourselves of that. That's what gives us buoyancy. That's what, that's what causes us to thrive even as we go through these difficult days that Jesus promised. This is what causes us to be overcomers, you know? Just like Christ was an overcomer. He's like, look, don't worry about all this because I've already overcome the world. This is how we overcome the world, by reminding ourselves and riding on the coattails of the one who is faithful. So when you bring your rock-bottom moments to God, you get then to the joy of going on a journey from despair to trusting God. That's good news right there. I just, always, I just want to leave you with this, that God is never shocked by your raw emotions. He's waiting to listen to you. He's wanting to hear from you. And he's definitely ready to walk with you. He's ready to meet you at your worst and to leave you better than he found you. That's why you hear me say this all the time about our church. Let's be a church that loves people right where they are. But let's love them too much to leave them that way. Because that's what God's done for our lives. God meets us at our worst, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. If we just practice that with one another, you're practicing the very heart and the very character and the very nature of God. So with that attitude, I think we should move into this moment of worship knowing we're worshiping the one who loves us even at our worst And he'll love us today in a profound way. You come to him, share with him how you're really feeling. Share with him what's really going on in your life and invite him to come in. And let's use these worship songs as a reminder of God's faithfulness today. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, today we uh, we join with you. Knowing that every good and perfect thing comes from you. And that, Lord, in and of ourselves, when we deny you, we reject you, or we just simply don't allow you to have access to a particular area of our life, then, Lord, you don't, you don't get a chance to bring the solution. And many times, we just keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But some of us are in that midnight zone, and we don't know exactly what to do. We feel it, though. We feel the pressure of it. I just pray that, God, we would come to you with those trials and struggles before they become rock-bottom moments. And instead of making human decisions that keep making things worse, we would quiet ourselves before you and let your Spirit speak to us so that we would know maybe what the next step really ought to be. Lord, you love us. You love us on the mountaintop just as much as you love us at the rock-bottom moment.
There's nothing we can do to make you love us more. There's really nothing we can do to make you love us less. So Lord, would you meet us today? Meet us today, maybe for some of us in our worst moments. Or would you just simply remind us that Lord, without your grace, without your grace, we we are doomed to live at the rock bottom. And it was only by your grace that we live We live rising above, overcoming the trials, the struggles, and the troubles of this world. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.